1: As we come to the end of another week on Political Rewind, we have so much to talk about that I want to get to the panel as soon as possible because political news just keeps coming at us at an extraordinary uh, pace. I'm Bill Nigget I'm glad to have all of you with us for today's show. Um, Jim Galloway, a former political columnist for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution and a veteran journalist in uh, Georgia, joins us as he does on Fridays. Jim, how are you? I'm doing fine. Today is going to be worth giving up stage seven for you. Oh no, no, you won't have to give up stage seven. You could, don't you have it recorded? We're, we watch no. the Tour de France every night. Well,
2: we'll, we'll, we'll have to. I'll, I'll, I'll try. I'll try. I'll try to find it on YouTube, maybe.
1: Oh, <laughs> Okay, Jim Galloway, his daughter, my wife, and I—all huge fans of the Tour de France. Uh, Margaret Coker is back with us. She's the editor-in-chief of The Current, which you can read at thecurrentga.org. It's a publication, a digital publication, that covers news along the Georgia coast, but um, also, of course, looks at news across the state of Georgia. Margaret, how are you today?
0: Doing fine. Um, I am coming to you live from The Current's new newsroom. We are located off of Martin Luther King Boulevard in downtown Savannah, um, at a refurbished Amtrak dining room car. So funky oh, newsroom really? here in Savannah. Oh, <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: congratulations. I really want to get down there and visit you down there. That sounds terrific. Um, okay. Raul Bali is with us as well. He's a politics reporter and a political analyst for WABE uh, Radio in Atlanta. Raul, uh, how are you?
3: Um, I'm recovered we took a, a trip to Italy, loved it. But unfortunately, the kids are still on Italian time waking up at 3 in the morning. So, um,
1: oh, But it was an
3: amazing, it's an amazing country, and we truly enjoyed it.
1: Oh, good. What a great way to get the summer off to a big start. And uh, last but certainly not least, Charlie Hazlett, longtime veteran, a Georgia journalist, um, also now the author of a wonderful blog, If You Don't Read Trouble in God's Country, I Really Recommend That You Do. Charlie, you do a lot of numbers crunching, a lot of data, and put it together in a way that makes us understand politics, particularly of rural Georgia, in ways that maybe we wouldn't otherwise. Hi, Charlie.
3: Good morning. Glad to be here. Straight plug.
1: Okay, Charlie, we're um, we're going to get going right away. Uh, Jim Galloway, I want to talk about this new federal COVID relief money. Uh, the state of Georgia is about to get $2.4 billion in relief. It's the second of the uh, two payments from uh, COVID relief funds that the federal government gave out. And it's another opportunity for Brian Kemp, as he heads towards an election just months away, to be able to tap into those funds and distribute them in a way that could be very helpful to his campaign. Yes, Jim. Oh, absolutely. Look, uh, uh, we've we've already seen uh,
2: the first act. Uh, I mean, that was uh, uh, the first round of COVID relief uh, was approved uh, uh, late last or early last year. He didn't, uh, the funds were not distributed, uh, that they, they were, they, they went through a, a kind of a, a verification process, but they were ultimately distributed the week before the, 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 uh, the May 24th primary this year. And it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, maybe those funds get held until uh, uh, early voting starts in October. So maybe, you know, maybe the last week of September, uh, it's, uh, it, it's, I will tell you, the one thing that I find interesting is, is that Kemp is willing to accept this money. There's been no dispute about that, but it sort of muddies the water for somebody like Herschel Walker to attack Raphael Warnock and accuse him of, of fueling inflation or and in raising the deficit with, with this kind of spending.
1: Yeah, I, Raul, I was thinking, of course, and I think all of us were the same thing, that on one hand, Republicans are attacking the Biden administration for uh, uh, federal spending that's driving up inflation, uh, and on the other hand, they're more than willing to, to uh, uh, benefit from the huge amounts of money that are coming into states uh, like Georgia, Raul. Yeah, and,
3: and you know we've had to point that out as reporters, as is, is you, you'll see some of these politicians at, you know, ribbon cutting events and events related to spending of those dollars. uh, And then just point out, well, you also voted against these dollars. And and to Jim's point about, about that argument uh, of Kemp versus Warnock, we're already seeing that on what's going on with the gas tax suspension. You know, the Senator Warnock, you know, laying out the idea of suspending the federal gas tax and, and, uh, you know, Herschel Walker kind of pushing back on that when I when I talked to Herschel about it. And then you had Senator Warnock the same day point out, hey, look, well, the state of Georgia is suspending the gas tax. So what Jim points out, we're going to see that in a number of areas, including those COVID dollars.
1: Margaret.
0: Yeah, the federal funds um, are are going to be really key for families across Georgia this year, and the political campaigns are going to have to take that into account as well as as they start to trickle out. Here in the coast, in Glenn County, there's federal funds that are being put towards uh, buying school supplies for, for children across the county, for example. There's federal funds that um, um, that are going to be used for, for very um, very important infrastructure like sewage systems for broadband internet the things that are not very sexy but help us all you know just get through our lives um, in in sort of normal and safe fashion And you know I'm sure that that um, Stacy Abrams will will uh, figure out a way to, to spin this. And who knows? I mean, if inflation actually goes down at the end of the summer, there'll be another talking point and another reason to turn off your TV if you're sick of political commercials in Georgia.
1: <laughs> Charlie, um, we, we should not uh, uh, dismiss the fact that this money will get used most likely in pretty important ways across the state, as did a lot of that first tranche of money from the feds. I mean. The governor's office and the people who uh, advised him on what to do with it did things like expanding broadband, uh, using it to, to uh, set up a broadband expansion uh, program and other uh, efforts of, of that sort. Uh, te- teachers got the final piece of the raise, the $5,000 raise the governor had promised them when he ran the first time around. State employees got $5,000. Uh, so it isn't as if this money won't serve a useful purpose it's just we know it's politicized uh, right now, and we understand why, Charlie. Mm. Charlie, we're not hearing you. Um, there you go. That,
4: that better? Okay. Yeah. Sorry about that. Um, I I guess my first question is whether or not uh, Governor Kemp should be required to report that two point four billion in COVID funds as a campaign contribution. <laughs> um, it's, it's kind of helping, Um but on a, on a more serious note, you, 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 wonder if he should not, uh, why they would not use some of that money to, um, to launch Medicaid expansion. They've found every reason in the world for the last dozen years, not to do that. And, um, or the last decade, not to do that. And it's, um, uh, frankly, I think it would be smart politics, for Kemp, uh outside his own base and maybe even within his own base. Um, and but, of course,
1: oops, no, go,
4: go ahead. ahead. That's
1: all right. No, I, I think you're, I mean, obviously that's a big part of what Stacey Abrams will argue as she pursues her campaign uh, for governor. If, if she has all along uh, said, we need to have a total expansion of Medicaid, Jim. Yeah, one thing we haven't talked about—I'm not sure that it's
2: possible—but you do have other other governors like DeSantis in Florida who are using the, this uh, the, the, this COVID money to uh, to uh, to lower taxes, which is a very very inter- interesting tactic. Now, the the legislation that accompanies this all this money specifically said you can't told the states you can't use it for that, but they've they've tried to find a, a workaround. So, uh, I I don't think. Uh, I, uh, and, and and given the f- uh, then there's also the fact that uh, uh, we just closed out the the, the fiscal year in the state on 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 June 30 and it looks like we've got a huge surplus again that's going to give uh, that's going to give uh, the legislature another opportunity to, to probably to lower taxes again in uh, in the coming coming year
3: but the thinking that I'm seeing at the capitol, Is A lot of this is one-time dollars, and since they're one-time dollars, use it for rural broadband, sewer projects, water projects, Mm -hmm. capital infrastructure, things that you only have to fund once, and that's kind of the big thinking that I'm seeing from from lawmakers at the capitol.
1: All right. Um, while, we're ta- while we're talking about the governor uh, governor's race, let's talk about this Quinnipiac poll that was released uh, uh, fairly recently now, uh, I think at the beginning of this week. Um, we talked yesterday about the Senate uh, results, which showed uh, Hershel Walker behind Raphael Warnock by some 10 points, which I want to talk about that in just a minute because it, it's a figure that's not – uh, been uh, shown in any other polling of the race. The real clear politics average in that race is, gives, uh, I think, Warnock a one, one and a half point lead um, in, in the race over Herschel Walker. But we'll come to that in a minute. I want to talk about it, though, in terms of the governor's race, Charlie. Um, the Quinnipiac poll shows that as a dead heat, uh, 48 to 48, I think, but our friend Rick Dent, the political consultant who's been on the show uh, pretty often recently, points out a couple of things about that poll that he finds a little hard to believe. Um, for instance, it shows Kemp getting 13% of the black vote and Abrams getting 29 plus percent of the white vote. Now, Charlie, you've been around a long time. A black candidate who receives 30% of the white vote is going to win. The race. So the, the demographics on this seem a little off, and I'm not sure how much uh, credence we can give to either this or, for that matter, the Senate uh, poll, Charlie.
4: Well, I'll, I'll offer a couple of thoughts. First, Quinnipiac is a very credible polling operation. It's a big sample of nearly 1,500 registered voters. Uh, they um, they may have slightly oversampled Republicans, interestingly enough. Uh, I agree with with Rick's observation on the the unusual split in, in black and white votes, um, but I don't I don't think you can I wouldn't dismiss it. I want to see another poll that comes close to matching that before I begin to take it too seriously. Another sort of oddity in that poll that I would point out is that Biden um, approval rating was like 33% and 60% negative. Um, and, uh, but it shows the Democrats in state doing pretty, doing very well. So um, um, it, that suggests to me that voters are beginning to differentiate between the national political scene and the state political scene. The other thing I would point out is that that poll looked, that they were in the field on that poll from June 23rd through the 27th, the overturn of Roe came down on the morning of the 24th. So it split that. I would love to see the results before Roe came, before the decision came down, and after. As a matter of fact, I'd love to see the hourly results on Friday the 24th to see what happened there. (laughs) But but Uh, I I think that you know. So yeah, there are reasons to take a lot of that with a grain of salt, but um, but I wouldn't ignore it
2: yeah yeah and, 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 and to follow up on on what what Charlie was saying, okay all right the the, the poll gives uh, among independents, Bi- Biden gets a job approval rate of twenty nine percent that ridiculously low. But then if you move over to the uh, how would how would you vote in the gubernatorial race uh, independents uh uh Stacey Abrams gets 52 percent of the uh independent vote Brian Kemp gets 42. she's got a 10 point lead there that's that's uh that tells me that uh, again people are separating the state from the from the from the national politics there uh the other thing that's really interesting here and it kind of it 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 uh, it it tells you that 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 Trump could still be a factor here is is that uh Look at uh, look at the question about job approval for Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State. Uh, uh, He 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 scores ten points better among Democrats than among Republicans. Uh, and I find I find that very interesting. And then the, the because what we're all the, the shoe we're waiting for, the shoe we're waiting to drop uh, for it to drop right now is is Donald Trump, whether this month he decides to go ahead and announce his candidacy for 2024 and inject himself back into this cycle.
3: Raul? I wanted to talk more about the numbers that that Jim was just looking at, and, and that was the the Republican Democrat independent numbers. Do we believe that there's a 10-point gap between Senator Warnock and Herschel Walker? Probably not. But what I'm looking at specifically is Herschel Walker is losing about 3 percent of Republican voters who would vote for Brian Kemp, losing 2 percent of Democrats who would vote for Brian Kemp, and then the the, kind of the big one, uh, losing 11 percent, 9 percent of independent voters. So what you're seeing, again, is, did they oversample? I think Charlie's right that there isn't oversampling here. But what I'm seeing is Herschel Walker is losing percentages here and there, and that could be what could be the gap between what Kemp gets and what Walker gets in the fall.
1: Margaret?
0: So I'm going to, um, use my sports metaphors, um, on, on the, the top line of, of the race, the gubernatorial race. Now, we love to say down here at the current that democracy is not a spectator sport, right? It's about participation and who shows up. The team captains for our two parties, Brian Kemp and Stacey Abrams, are really likable among um, among the the group of Georgians who who are taking part in these polls and also who are probably likely to go vote. You know, when you look at what the poll says about um, honesty, likability, the percent that each of these two candidates, Kemp and and Abrams, cares about the average Georgians, they're above 50 percent each, and they're also neck and neck in, in terms of, of what that poll um, the the people responding to the poll um, believe, but. You know, in in contemporary times, races are sometimes won and lost by the quality of the candidate. And when both parties like their candidates at the top of the ticket, um, I, as as a Georgian, hope that this helps turnout and brings more people out in the fall um, to to actually, you know, cast a ballot and have a say in our future.
1: Um, I, it, it, I it it is going to be fascinating to watch turnout in this election because another thing that Quinnipiac talks about in this poll, or they polled on was whether people plan to vote in person, uh, whether they plan to cast absentee ballots and the like. And more and more Georgians are saying now they're want to, they going to vote in person, maybe uh, cast early votes. So we're going to be really keyed into watching for how the vote develops in the fall. What, one last element of this before we move on, though, is I think uh, that you all identified something really important here. And that's the potential that there's a growing split uh, between state politics and federal politics. So that while uh, Brian Kemp uh, may be doing better uh, than Herschel Walker in uh, in the polling right now, um, the fact of the matter is that people seem to be separating, say, a Kemp from a Walker. We, we talked yesterday on the show about a Wall Street Journal piece over the weekend, which uh, just surveyed, sampled women voters, suburban women voters uh, in the post-Roe era. And a woman from Georgia, this is anecdotal, but I think interesting, Jim Galloway, she uh, she was stunned by the Roe decision. She said it upset her, she said it made her grown daughter cry. She knows that Brian Kemp uh, supported and signed into law one of the toughest abortion laws in the country, but she's voting for him because she thinks he's done a good job uh, uh running the affairs of the state on the other hand she's voting for Raphael Warnock because she hopes that on the federal level he will do something about codifying abortion in federal law <laughs> yeah it,
2: it, it I, I will tell well the, the, the other thing about this Quinnipiac uh poll is 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 it just underlines the difference the the Democratic Republican uh difference when it comes to issues of concern uh I mean uh, among I, I think uh Abrams voters uh uh, gun violence was first, abortion second, uh, uh, election laws uh, 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 third, and then uh, among Republicans, it's all about inflation and the economy. And 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 it's going to be interesting to see how those two, that, uh, how those those issues play against one another.
1: Raul, quick comment before we move on.
3: I wanted to talk about a race that I covered ten years ago, the twelfth congressional. That's the district that's out in Augusta and, and then one south. Uh, I covered. That race, that was John Barrow versus Lee Anderson, who's now a state senator. You know, a popular figure in the Augusta area. But it really reminds me of the Warnock, uh, Warnock-Warnock Walker race. There were conservative voters, Republican voters, who who loved Lee Anderson, but couldn't see him as a member of Congress. And what ended up happening is Mitt Romney won the 12th congressional with 55% of the vote. John Barrow won with 54% of the vote. As a Democrat, Um, you had at least 20,000 people who either left the Republican blank or, or may have voted for John Barrow. Will they do that in this race? That's a dynamic I'm also following in the Senate race.
1: Yeah, it's going to be fascinating to watch how that uh, develops. Uh, Charlie Hazlett, let's talk for a few minutes about a, blo- a blog you posted on Trouble in God's Country just yesterday, as, since we're talking about the governor's race. Um, it's really a fascinating uh, piece. Essentially, you say that Stacey Abrams and Brian Kemp are running two very different kinds of campaigns. You say Stacey Abrams is asking voters to think Whereas Brian Kemp is asking people to feel, why don't you give us kind of an overview of what you've laid out in the column? And by the way, we'll post a link to it on our social media.
4: Appreciate that. Uh, the my starting point was was Stacey Abrams' um, admittedly inelegant gaffe on the Georgia as the worst place to live, um, and the Kemp people pounced on that. But in in my view, went too far and stretched that number one place to do business ranking that they're so proud of uh, from Area Development Magazine to a claim that uh, the state that Brian Kemp has kept Georgia the best place to live. Um, And it seems to me that that is highly debatable, especially in, in, in rural areas of the state that are solidly Republican and that uh, ought to be uh, sort of scratching their heads and a- asking um, what what Brian Kemp and the Republican Party has done for them where economics and education uh, and health status is concerned. And, uh, and, in fact, there's another ranking out there from CNBC uh, that factors in quality of life factors, considerations, and... Um, and, and they ranked Georgia as the sixth worst place to live in the state um, behind Alabama. Alabama ranked one place better than Georgia did. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't know whether um, um, Abram, Abram's camp will fire back with that sort of stuff, but I think she's got uh, an argument to make. It's, it's, a, it's not an easy argument to make, and that's the problem. Um, voters often, for good reason, um, vote their emotions rather than, than what they think. Um, and, uh, and I think that's going to be a, a, a challenge for Abrams where this
1: system is done. Margaret, one of the things that Charlie points out in this piece is that a reason behind why Georgia gets a high ranking in terms of best place in the country to do business, is that salaries are lower in uh, Georgia and uh, companies are attracted here because they're going to pay workers less. And then he adds another interesting element. He singles out Brantley County, which is way down in Southeast Georgia, down your way. It ranks, Charlie reminds us, near the bottom of every national economic, educational, and health analysis. And yet it votes Republican for Donald Trump, for Brian Kemp, uh, overwhelmingly in every election, which leads to his notion that maybe Brian Kemp is running on feeling rather than fact.
0: <laughs> yeah, and Brantley County is not um, an outlier in, in Southeast Georgia. You know, Brunswick is one of the poorest places in the state, uh, and Camden County also has. I mean, we have we have double digit poverty rates um, all up and down the coast, and we also have some of Georgia's. Uh, most expensive zip codes, right? The island to Brunswick is about five, six miles, but it is literally a, a, a universe away in terms of, um, you know, health expectations, uh, economic expectations, and job opportunities. So, this divide is real in Georgia. It's been like that for for uh, you know a very long time, probably throughout my my adult lifetime, and. You know, I think this is why uh, you know Kemp really is um, ha- has 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 been running a great campaign. You know, the the money, the the benefits that he is is handing out through executive order and through fiat of federal um, CARES Act funds is is aimed at at the places that are falling behind, and so in there's he, he does have a shot at reelection because of that, right? I mean, there's there is a. Um, there's a sense of identity politics right now in Georgia, which we cannot ignore. Uh, when people um, look at a candidate and and they feel like they resemble um, they resemble themselves, their relatives, they understand their lifestyle. That that is also really important. And Stacey Abrams does that for a lot of Georgians. Brian Kemp does it for another group of Georgians that looks totally different.
1: Um, but Jim, though, we do have to point out that Kemp's record on economic development is is, uh, a major factor in why people uh, seem inclined to want to vote for him, those who want to vote for him. I mean, just looking at that southeast part of the state, uh, the Hyundai deal is an enormous benefit. Uh, to the people uh, down in that uh, corridor of uh, the state of Georgia. So it, it isn't all, I mean, I know Charlie is, is a, a, a dramatizing it just a bit to talk about your voting on feeling uh, rather than on, on uh, thinking. But in fact, the Kemp and economic initiatives do deserve some credit here.
2: Right, right. You've got the Hyundai uh, 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 venture on the, on, the, on the coast. You've got Rivian. Uh, the electric vehicle company in in East Georgia, and that's 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 extremely important. So so those are those are th- great things to have in your quiver if you're a governor, uh, and 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 the, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of electioneering is about selling the future, and 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 those two plans in particular, I think, give give Kemp a a, a good message to 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 use. Uh, what what Charlie is talking about and what Abrams is 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 underlining is 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 the record of, of the last twenty years, uh, and uh, uh, it, you haven't mentioned it, Bill, but 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 Charlie's column goes goes very deeply into uh, into per, per capita income, and and how uh, and how how especially in rural Georgia it, it started trailing off uh, uh, these last twenty years. And what Stacy Abrams's job is is to underline that without making people feel that they're responsible. For, voters feel that they're responsible for that, uh, and that's that's a really difficult task. Where, whereas Kemp just needs to to short uh, to point to these these new new plants and and the promise of new jobs coming in.
1: Charlie, uh, you do say that uh, the per capita income was on the rise in Georgia in the late I think late twentieth. Century and has started going down in uh, in in the last what decade?
4: Uh, well, it, it it hasn't started going down in absolute terms. We've started. We've been losing ground against the national average and against um, uh, and, and in terms of rankings in the last twenty years of of the last millennium century, uh, Georgia's per capita income average per capita income rose from about 85% of the national average to 95% of the national average, and the rank went up from about 38th, as I recall, to 24th at one point. Um, uh, and then, for reasons that I still am not convinced I understand, it it collapsed um, after the turn of the century. Uh, actually, uh, after frankly, after Roy Barnes had talked this, and Sonny Perdue came in, Perdue presided over a 15-place drop in state rankings um, in his eight years in office, uh, and only one other state suffered that big a drop, and that was Delaware, which lost 16 places. But nobody else was even close. And, and okay. I have not been able to find anybody who can explain to me what caused that. One person said, well, Sonny had the, 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 the Great Recession. So, did the rest of the country. So, that doesn't really explain it. So, um, uh, but it's, but I I think it's a real issue. And rural Georgia, as is always the case, was hit harder.
1: So, Uh, um, before we get to a break, Margaret and then Raul, give us your last thoughts on this.
0: Yeah. In a previous life, I was an economics reporter at the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, the promise of jobs in an election isn't the same as. High-paying or well-paying jobs for voters, and um, just a quick example of the Hyundai plant. We actually don't know the details of of that development deal yet. We don't know how Hyundai and uh, the counties here on the coast or the state are going to um, are going to subsidize what what it takes to transport workers from say downtown Savannah to our from our poorest zip codes and poorest neighborhoods to factory jobs that might pay them more than working at a restaurant downtown. And those people in in Brantley County who are among the poorest uh, in America, they're sure not going to drive up to a factory job when gasoline costs $5 or even $4 a gallon.
1: Raul?
3: And more specifically, the concern of actually being able to fill those jobs. You know, the state lawmakers had a hearing this week about finding solutions on how to fill those jobs. And, 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 you know, one of those plants that, that, Governor Camp Pl- uh, touted in Putnam County. Um, the last time I checked in, they were struggling to fill some of those positions, even though they were double digit in hour salary jobs. So, you know, as much as these announcements are great, one of the things that I'm going to be watching for is can those jobs be filled, <sighs> whether they are by locals or somebody that moves into the area? Just
0: because oh, right. I know we We've need got a it. break, but. But let me say this on behalf of Savannah and Chatham County. Our, our local development authorities have great partnerships with our vocational technical schools here. And there is a great pipeline to get people skills into jobs that companies want, which I think is one of the reasons why, despite, you know, in, uh, beyond the, the fact that we're so close to the port, that um, Hyundai uh, decided to, to land their new factory close to us.
1: Okay, we do have to get to our first break. Thank you all for a really, really good deep dive into especially what's going on in the governor's race right now. We'll be back with more in just a moment.
2: Thanks for listening to Political Rewind. If you like this show, you'll also like Georgia Today. It's a daily podcast from GPB News, bringing you compelling stories and in-depth reporting that you won't hear anywhere else. Join me, Peter Biello, for this quick and convenient way to get the best of GPB News' extensive coverage of the topics that matter to you, delivered directly to your device every weekday afternoon.
1: Charlie Hazlett of Trouble in God's Country, Raul Bali, reporter at WABE, Margaret Coker of The Current, and of course, Jim Galloway. Uh, join me for today's show. Uh, just a quick look at two developments in the Senate race, uh, Jim. Um, on one hand, um, there's uh, uh, the Republicans are mounting uh, an attack on uh, Rafael Warnock uh, because he it appears that he may have violated campaign uh, uh, fundraising rules by um, spending campaign funds, for defending himself in a very strange lawsuit that's been going on for literally, I think, 15 years or more, um, and and the lawsuit itself is is not really the point of this. The question is whether Warnock uh, ran afoul of uh, federal rules by using campaign money to uh, uh, pay for it. Is the Right right it, yeah it, it's uh,
2: it basically this is a story that that's the headline and and not a whole lot more to it uh uh, he, uh, Warnock's argument is that yes, it was filed. The original suit was filed year, years ago, but it was refiled while while he's been a, a U.S. senator, and thus the the, the 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 spending is is falls within within the the legal purview. Uh, it's just this is this, we're, we're we're in you know uh, this is this is something of a silly season where where the accusation and the headline is 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 pretty much the most important part of the story.
1: Well, and, but Republicans, of course, will use it against him, and Raul, at the same time that uh, Republicans are going to go after Warnock, um, the, the Daily Beast published a piece the other day that Patricia Murphy wrote her column about for the AJC today that—and um, we want to be a little bit careful about how we talk about this—but the story, based on anonymous sources from inside the Walker campaign, essentially says— That and there are emails to back this up, that staffers on the Walker campaign don't trust the candidate, uh, are nervous that he's going to say things that will embarrass them at any moment, um, and uh, that the campaign is in a certain amount of chaos. As Patricia points out, so are a lot of political campaigns at any given moment. But nevertheless, this is the kind of story that, Contributes to those who believe that Walker is is not prepared, uh, and maybe more, maybe unfit to serve in the Senate.
3: And the question, you know, with each one of these stories is, does it move the needle with either independent or Republican voters? Um, and and this may be a line that you're going to see pushed by both Senator Warnock and by by Democrats. Is is Herschel Walker fit? To be the next U.S. senator from the state of Georgia, and and again, it kind of again kind of reminds me of that race I talked about a few minutes ago, with Lee Anderson running for Congress. Again, people liked him. People, you know, he had good favorables, but but people asked, could he be the next member of Congress? And and that's something that the, I think the Walker campaign is is going to have to focus on at some point.
1: Okay, well, again, I want to be careful. It's worthy of mention because it's getting a lot of uh, uh, attention from the media. But again, these are anonymous sources, and uh, we got to be careful Absolutely. as we talk about it. Galloway, did you want to make a quick point about that? Yeah, yeah.
2: Just, just. I mean, uh, set aside, set aside the, uh, the, the, the 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 kind of the the accusations of 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 misleading your own staff and such. What this tells me is, this is this is not a happy. Campaign operation, right, and right, and, right. and 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 to me, that's probably the the most significant thing out of this, uh, and that because okay. it, because it it, it, uh, it you have to have a, a, a well oiled machine to win in Georgia right now.
1: I think that's a really really good point. All right, let's let's move on. I want to take up an issue that doesn't have to do with the campaign uh, uh, November elections, Margaret, and that's a story that you published in the Current which is really worth a a few minutes of our time because it's an important case. The Georgia Supreme Court next month is going to hear a case um, about the spaceport, uh, the Camden County spaceport, where uh, voters in a referendum said they did not want the county to move forward with building the spaceport or or planning for for a company to come in and build the spaceport, and yet— Commissioners are going ahead with their plans. The question before the Supreme Court is whether, I think, and you'll tell me if I'm not quite accurate on this, is whether um, public initiatives like the vote on not having a spaceport uh, can in fact be used to block the efforts of their elected officials in any number of cases, right? Right.
0: Right. Uh, you know, according to Georgia state constitution, um, traditionally there's been a lot of power that has been relegated to home rule, to, to local counties, but also to individual residents. Mm-hmm. And an incredibly committed, incredibly passionate group of people from Camden County earlier this spring got together the necessary signatures to enact one of the clauses of the Georgia constitution, which is to have a referendum um, against a, a county law passed by their elected officials, uh, the county commissioners. The county commissioners, though, are taking um, this uh, this negation of their plans to build a state court all the way up to the Supreme Court. There's lots of First Amendment um, um, issues at stake. There's lots of local power and local democracy issues at stake. But the Camden County commissioners have a long reputation for trampling over um, what the voters and their constituents want in Camden County, and that has to do with library funding up to, you know, something as, as more um, consequential economically as, as the spaceport. And so this is going to be an incredibly fascinating um, debate when we are talking about the right to privacy for all Georgians, um, not just about the spaceport, but about abortion rights, right, and abortion laws that might be enacted. And all of these very, very consequential um, issues that, that, um, that I think are going to be part of the campaign, but also the way that we, um, we interact as Georgians with our elected officials moving forward.
1: Um, Charlie, uh, the, the story that the uh, current published includes uh, this quote from the legal brief uh, that uh, uh, argues why citizens should have this right uh, uh, validated. It's it's, Here's the quote. Invalidating this direct democracy safety valve embedded in our state's constitution will strip not just the residents of Camden County, but the people in all 159 Georgia uh, counties of their ability to hold their county commissioners accountable more than once every four years. Um, Charlie, your thoughts? I, I don't know
4: a lot about that case, but if I understand the the public initiative um, law, the way it's set up, and the 10 percent um, uh, signatures of registered voters as a hurdle, that's not an insignificant hurdle. Um, and and in hitting that to get it on the ballot and then and then winning the ballot initiative is a, a big deal and, and seems like something the local government ought to respect, uh, that the local politicians ought to respect. Uh, because they they oppose it at their own peril the next time they are up. Although, to Margaret's point, uh, incumbents, especially in, in rural counties like that, tend to get really entrenched, and it's hard to dislodge them. So I would... I, it's going to be interesting to see what the current, very conservative uh, Georgia Supreme Court does on this.
1: Uh, and And
4: I would not... I would not bet a plug nickel either way on it. It's going
1: to be Raul, do You want to weigh in quickly?
4: I
3: I think the bigger thing that that I I'm looking at this case for is the idea of pushback from communities on large economic developments. We've seen a little bit of it with the Rivian project um, in Morgan County and Walton County, especially Morgan County. Small group of people pushing back, but a loud group of people. So I think that's the bigger implication with with this case, and definitely one of the cases that I'm going to be following with the Georgia Supreme
2: Court this fall. Uh, yeah, uh, M- Margaret, got, I've got one question for you here. Uh, where is the money in this? Because that's because it, to, to me that's always that's always the backstory. Where is the, where is where is the cash? Where is it flowing?
0: Great question. So. First of all, there is no money flowing right now because Camden County doesn't have an operator um, in the wings ready to even start a spaceport should uh, should all the legal uh, um, challenges um, fall the commissioner's way. So unlike the Rivian plant, unlike the Hyundai plant, um, Camden County commissioners have not done a great job in in um, partnering up with statewide authorities. Um, or the governor's office, in order to try to recruit in a big-name um, rocket manufacturer or spaceport um, operator, they are still out and about trying to raise money to make this even a viable business once they get through the rest of the legal challenges. And by the way, there's also an FDA challenge um, that they still have to uh, to pass by as well. So part of the frustration uh, from, from a very local level of Camden residents is that The commissioners have not put into their their recent budget that was just approved last month any money for the spaceport. They're spending a whole lot of money on legal fees just to try to um, upend the will of the voters right now.
1: Okay, got to get to our final break of the show. We'll be back with more in just a minute. Margaret Coker, another story that The Current uh, published uh, that I think is of interest to this entire panel uh, is on the latest information from the Census Bureau on uh, the most recent census. And essentially what uh, it tells us is, um, I mean, the state is still uh, growing. We've had uh, about 74,000 new residents over uh, uh, 2020. Um, We're up to about 10.8 million people Uh, But uh, the other thing that's fascinating about this is we're getting older uh, and we're getting more urban, right?
0: Right. And, and I don't think that that is out of line with the rest of America right now. Um, I, I look around here in Savannah and greater Chatham County, especially Cooler, which is one of the fastest growing metropolitan areas in the state. And I see a lot of younger people, young professionals, young families. So I'm sort of surprised at, at these results um, for specifically to to our um, local region here. But, you know, it's it, um, it it's it is a great place for, for people to retire. It's a great place for people to stay and help raise their grandbabies. But it's also a place that it's very hard to, um, to, to pay for if, if you are a low-income retiree who needs health care without, um, without a whole lot of savings. So I think this is going this should be a wake-up call to Republican and Democratic Party leaders in the state that we need to, uh, we need to invest more in our health care and, and um, all of our medical services.
1: Um, uh, Jim Galloway, there are three of us on this panel who are part of the fastest growing demographic in the state, uh, people 65 years old and older. Um, and that has a big impact on, on how the state moves forward in terms of health care, in terms of uh, taxes uh, that people are paying or not paying when they're retired. I mean, that's an, the impact of that is pretty interesting, Jim.
2: Yeah, I I'd, I'd like to hear from Charlie on this cuz he's he's probably in our group right now. He's probably the best demographic uh expert we've got. But it, it does strike me is that we're and and Charlie correct me if I'm wrong, but we're headed to a situation where where we're going to be starving for young young workers. We're going to be we're going to be in desperate need and and that speaks to the issue of immigration. Uh, which I know is a is a, is a is a hot topic in in Georgia politics
1: but somehow we're going to have to come to grips with it. Charlie Charlie you're muted. Sorry beg your
4: pardon um, uh, Jim is right of course the, um, a couple of quick observations one one reason that average age is rising is that there are fewer and fewer newborn babies. Georgia births were down dramatically last year, um, and 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 we're in the middle of a global, not in the middle, we're in a global baby bust um, that uh, shows no sign, frankly, of letting up. So that's one observation there. The other is that population uh, gain has been almost entirely in metro Atlanta and north Georgia and to some extent on the Georgia coast. Those interior counties, um, are hollowing out. And and what the crop that they need, and I think I said this on an earlier show, is people. Jim's right. We've got to find some way to import um, uh, people to those areas to recolonize um, parts of rural Georgia that are frankly dying.
3: And that was something, the legislative hearing that I mentioned uh, earlier in the show that was looking at workforce development that issue back to jim's point on immigration was brought up specifically state representative casey carpenter who's a republican from dalton talking about the idea of lower tuition or even in-state tuition for undocumented immigrants who've already gone through georgia's K through 12 system what he calls it is the state's already invested more than a hundred thousand dollars uh in these young folks we should have them either at a low not paying out of state tuition but at least lower tuition. That, that's one of the legislative arguments that, again, you could see coming up in January at the state capitol.
1: Um, Charlie, before we get off this subject, I, I'd like to look at another uh, demographic that you published in a, in a piece on Trouble in God's Country. Um, it, uh, among other things, data that you uh, shared with, with your readers is, the uh black births versus white births and there's a growing gap T- tell us about what that's all about and the significance of that
4: um to take the last question first uh it's too early to know what the significance is or if there is any significance historically whites of course have the larger population and they've had more babies but those that gap has been closing in recent years this year it reversed for some reason um, and you, you saw white births increase and 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 black births decrease. It could be a one year anomaly. Uh, it's it's always a little dicey to look at one year of data and and extrapolate or try to draw a conclusion. So I'm gonna I'm gonna wait and see if that continues. Um, but but yeah, the 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 bigger challenge, frankly, is we just there aren't enough babies. Period
1: none of which uh, has anything to do with the fact that we know the state's population is increasingly uh we're, we're uh, increasingly we're turning toward a majority minority uh, state uh, right charlie
4: correct um and okay. and that's happening again primarily north of the nat line uh, and oh. just some degree on
1: the coast uh, Jim, we're just about out of t- time, but I want to pick up a story quickly that um, is getting a little currency uh, today. And I know the AJC reported it on it to today. And it's, it's, it's worth mentioning briefly, because uh, this is the day that uh, uh, the, pre- the, 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 the president's lawyer, not really the president's lawyer, but the gov- government's lawyer, uh, Pat Cipollone, is going to testify privately it, before the January 6th committee. And he knows everything about what happened with Trump and the efforts to overturn uh, the election. So that's going to be secret testimony. But one of the things that's becoming more and more clear, as we've discussed on this show, is the fake slate of electors were part of a big, big scheme to get Mike Pence to invalidate the uh, Biden electors. And I mention all this to say that the AJC this morning reports that there are Republicans in Georgia who are beginning to be troubled by the fact that Burt Jones— the GOP candidate for lieutenant governor, was on that slate that he uh, and uh, David Schaefer, uh, the chair of the state party, and others who were on that slate are now under investigation and could be implicated in this unlawful effort to overturn the election. What does it mean that Burt Jones is on the Republican ticket? That's the question that some Republicans are asking.
2: And 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 it's going to become an issue as we get closer to to, to November, and as as the as the, uh, as the January sixth commission issues its final report, I believe in in August. I think that's when you're going to see a, a, a fever pitch, and the question will be whether 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 these 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 uh, the, these Republicans in Georgia, led by David Schaefer, but including Bert Jones, uh, Brandon Beach, uh, a, a really uh, strong knot of of Republican state senators, whether they were. Whether they were colluding or whether they were, I guess, in the Soviet parlance would be useful idiots, whether they were just, you know, whether they were just kind of led down this path to do something they thought was, was entirely legal and entirely proper, uh,
1: uh, and, uh, but with nefarious purposes up above. Um, We've only got two minutes left. I want to ask, Raul, just a very quick response to this. The Washington Post this morning, Dan Balls, who's their top political analyst, published a really interesting piece this morning. We'll talk about it more on Monday's show. Um, But he suggests there's an interesting difference between Boris Johnson uh, resigning because members of his own party forced him out. They finally abandoned him. And the fact that Republicans uh, will not have never been willing— uh, to look at Trump wrongdoings and take the same action against him, it's just a very interesting parallel, Raul.
3: It is an interesting parallel, and, and it is something that I am I'm watching for here in Georgia. If there's going to be that split, you know, you have the the Jeff Duncan folks who are who are saying let's move on, and then you've got, of course, you've got people like David Schaefer who are saying you're not saying, but but are in what I would call the Trump camp.
1: All right, we are going to talk about that story a bit more on Monday when Shirley Franklin uh, j- joins us uh, on, on the show. Um, we look forward uh, to that uh, program. Uh, but in the meantime, my thanks to uh, everybody today, Charlie Hazlett, Margaret Coker, Rahul Bali, Jim Galloway, thank you for a really robust conversation. I appreciate it. Before we leave you, I want to welcome a new member of the Political Rewind team. She's directing the show today, Victoria Evans-Cash. We're glad to have you here with us, Victoria. Thank you. And of course, as always, my thanks to Jake Cook, to Natalie Mendenhall, and uh, Chase McGee for their work on the show as well. We're out of time. We'll be back on Monday. Everybody take care, and please stay healthy. Bye-bye.